This episode of Positive Space is brought to you by the Folding Art Horse, makers of professional-grade drawing horses. The patented Folding Art Horse uniquely folds flat, allowing for greater storage and portability. If you or your university don't have much storage space, the Folding Art Horse is for you. They're great for travel, too. Check out the Folding Art Horse at thefoldingarthorse.com. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes. Hey there, welcome to Positive Space. I'm Valerie Powell, and today joining us via Skype audio is David Jansen, who is an MFA candidate at the University of Idaho. Welcome, David. Yeah, thank you, Valerie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to get to, to sort of hear more about your creative practice as well as your experience as an educator. So maybe we could just sort of begin with a general introduction to what you make and what you teach. Sure. My practice in art making, I like to think of it as kind of very much blurred some lines in between like painting and graphic design and things like that. My heart's kind of torn between, uh, you know, the fine art kind of realm and the design sort of world. So a lot of my paintings and things are quite large, really, really surface. Uh, the, the surfaces are really, really built up with a lot of uh, different types of paint and things. And then um, I have a lot of work currently where I'm using text from journals and things like that, but I I actually will export uh, some text into Adobe Illustrator, and then I actually end up making stencils that are laser cut through some of the facilities here at the University of Idaho, and then that ends up becoming spray-painted onto objects and different things too. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. And then what I teach is I actually uh, have an opportunity here through the program. I teach some foundations courses in just basic kind of intro level to art and design, and then I also teach some intro level courses in uh, the graphic design department as well. So, Wow. Well, so what made you want to become an artist or go to grad school in general? I mean, that's that's a pretty intense choice for, for those of us that have experienced grad school, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think really early on, Valerie, it was kind of when I was in high school, it was just, I was just better at drawing and things than other people. And that was the thing that kind of made me stand out and made me kind of an individual, I felt like. And that was something that kept me out of trouble. It kept me from not being bullied, all these things. You know, it was like a kind of a chip in my back pocket to to get out of, you know, certain things for, you know, if I was riding a bus somewhere or something, uh, you know, if I drew a picture for one of these kids, they would leave me alone, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. And then as I got to college, um, I originally didn't even really know if I was going to go to college at all for undergraduate study. And I knew that I, I wanted to continue learning how to draw and paint and things because I just found so much fulfillment in that. And it was it was so challenging compared to other things, uh, you know, sitting through sociology classes and stuff too. Like I could do that, and that was fine, but I didn't get it very excited about it. And when I started getting a lot more serious about 
my art and design studies, something clicked there. And I, I looked around at all my professors and things. And those were the people that I was really learning from the most. And I, I went to Saginaw Valley State University in Saginaw, Michigan. Yeah, the, the faculty there was just really had a, a way about teaching and getting me to learn things. And I actually felt like every day I was having a takeaway from every interaction I was having. And that was something that I, um, after I had graduated, um, I got my BFA in drawing and painting from SVSU. And there was about a nine month or so period there where I was working some odd jobs and things. And uh, I I had this idea kind of later on when I was in my undergraduate studies that I, I wanted to become a, a professor. And I knew that one of the big things that is kind of asked is that you have your master's degree. And I, I wanted, I felt like I could be challenged more by, by continuing my education. And I wanted that really kind of desperately. I, I wanted, I wanted more out of this journey. You know, I wanted to take this as far as I could go. And that's kind of how I decided to make the decision. So when I started applying to, to graduate schools, you know, I applied all over the place, all over the country. And there was a, definitely a few schools on the top of my list and the university of Idaho was definitely up there. And when I started talking with some of the faculty here, it became pretty evident to me that this was going to be the place for me. And it's, I'm going to be graduating here in a few months. Been here for, we have a three-year program here, and um, it's just been awesome uh, ever since I've been here. Wow. So how do you feel like your artwork has changed since you went from Michigan to Idaho? Yeah, I know my, um, you know, kind of my work up to coming to grad school was just very painting and collage heavy. The text-based elements and things weren't there at all. My color choices and things too were very limited just because of what I was kind of into at the time. And since I've gotten here, I mean, I'm using fluorescent bright pinks and I'm still doing a lot of painting and collage and things, but, you know, the text-based work, you know, all this other different ways to communicate uh, through my work has has just been pushed and, and I've been challenged on this stuff pretty rigorously, I feel. And that has got me to be a lot stronger when I, when I'm talking about my work and when I'm making it, I'm more critical now. I feel like that I was before too, which has been only helpful to me really. Sure, sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very intense thing to sort of be reflective and, and have so many opinions and ideas sort of being thrown at you. It's, 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 it's a really exciting time. Yeah. Yeah. It's been just unbelievable. And everybody here too, like the faculty, when we have our uh, critiques on, you know, it's like every other Friday or so. Um, it's just, everybody's so knowledgeable about different things. And even though someone might not have practiced graphic design or know any of the different programs or things, they can still speak on these things and give you, you know, names of other people to look at or other artists or, or work that they've found that may look similar or just give me resources to things that I've never seen before, which is always exciting because that's definitely a huge part of my process too, is just that speaking and looking for things I have never seen before or to be challenged by. So... Absolutely. It's, that's really, really exciting. So walk me through, you land in Moscow, Idaho, a wonderful yeah. city, and you are in your first semester and you are going to be a TA and there's some kind of training probably that happened for you in terms of before you stepped into the classroom. Is that right? Yeah. So the university here, they, they do a um, kind of a, a training sort of thing where 
there's like basically a couple weeks before classes start, all of the graduate students that are have teaching responsibilities and things, they meet up for like this a couple afternoon, just basically like seminar sort of uh, lectures where there's just people talking about resources here at the university and these things. And then Stacy Eisenbarger, she's the foundations coordinator here for our department, and she actually sits us down uh, there for a, a, you know a few days and kind of goes over like the projects and, and, and we do some like kind of, uh, we call it like kind of mock teaching sort of setup where we actually kind of get to practice a little bit with the, the delivery of information and things. But one of the big strengths too, I feel like of, of the program here is that, you know, something that definitely won me over when I was thinking about coming here was that, you know, I was told, and, and it's been true the whole time that I've been here that I, I would, I would get to develop the way that I wanted to teach and have the autonomy to, to kind of do so. And as long as I deliver, you know, the information, how I deliver it is up to me. So that was something that I, I really have enjoyed quite a bit being here is that freedom to just kind of decide, okay, how am I going to talk about these certain principles or these elements of design or the certain project that we're doing, or, you know, am I going to do a demo today or am I going to do it the second day of the week? You know, it's, it's totally up to me. And I like, I like having that control because there's things that happen in the classroom that you kind of have to adapt to and be a little bit more organic. And I've noticed for myself and my teaching methods and things is that if I, if I try to be really super structured, it doesn't always work. (laughs) Right. You definitely have to be flexible and able to respond to a lot of, a lot of things that you probably couldn't predict. I definitely think it sounds like things are going in a really exciting way at the University of Idaho. And I know Stacy is, as the coordinator there, um, is doing a phenomenal job in terms of really preparing you guys to, to have all these resources, but then also to have permission to take risks and take some chances in terms of how you communicate that information to where it feels comfortable and it feels authentic for you. Yeah, and I think that's something that's really great, too, about the environment here compared. I have friends at other graduate programs in the country and things, too, and uh, talking to them about things. And I notice a big difference when I talk to them about my teaching experience specifically, where I think that's one of the big strengths is that if I have trouble or need some advice or some further support, like I can, yes, I can reach out to Stacy or any other, other of the other faculty. They can definitely give me advice, but also to like the other grads that are teaching, you know, we can meet up downtown for coffee and kind of talk about like, you know, how was your project or, you know, last week, how did, the, how did they respond to critique or all these different things? And, and it's, everybody's there and we're all kind of going through these same things still, you know, and I feel like too, you know, we're, we're not all experts. We haven't all totally figured this out either. We're, we're trying out different things and we're taking note of what was successful or what to change the next time we do these things again. Very exciting. So in terms of being in graduate school and sort of having those kinds of challenges and opportunities, you know, to really kind of come into your own in terms of teaching, were there things that you were nervous about, you know, even though you had this training and this, you know, kind of knowledge going in, I mean, there's nothing like walking into your first class on the first day of school and just feeling like, oh, wow, like this is, this is happening. Yeah. I think the things that I was the most kind of nervous about was the very first day of classes here in the fall for that first semester when I was here, that was the first day of classes for my freshman level students coming into our design one or intro to art and design class that we have here. And yeah, I was just so nervous because I, I, 
I understood too that, you know, if they look at me a certain way or if I don't present myself in a certain kind of light, students, and especially a lot of my freshmen, you know, they're about 18, 19 years old. I've had some not more non-traditional age students and things too, but they can just smell through anything that you're just kind of putting up a front. Like if you're not being honest and open about who you are or like how you teach or if they seem, if they, they can kind of see if, if you're acting. Right. You know? and, and, and I can tell that too, you know, when I'm, when I'm around people, I have that kind of intuition or that, that, that thing that goes, you know, I don't really believe what this person's saying. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was, I was worried too, and I don't know why. And I think it's just a nervous sort of moment because it's just such a, an immense responsibility, you know, every day to be in front of students, to, to try to pass on this information or the understanding that I, that I have about, you know, these different art and design principles and things that it's such a huge responsibility to try to pass that along or try to figure out a way to, to give that to them and have them earn that understanding. Right, right. And then the privilege of being present to hear about all of their ideas and all about, you know, the the things that they're wondering about or nervous about or anxious about in terms of their own artistic habits. I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something too that I just, I, I don't really take for granted either, you know, that I, you try to, I try to put myself in their shoes a lot of times too, and have that, that self-reflection after class or even before class where, you know, when students are coming in, like, I have no idea that very first day, I don't know any of them. They don't, I don't know what their stories are, where they're from. They don't know me. I, you know, we try to do these kind of get to know you sort of moments where it's just like, tell me a little bit about you. But even then, like, you don't, you don't really know what people are telling you. Right. You know, it's not, it's, it's just, it is difficult. But then as soon as those first few days kind of go by first couple of weeks and they start to understand like, okay, Dave, this is how you roll. This is how I communicate. And then, and then we're on to something, you know, it, it does take some time to kind of, to break that ice a little bit. And then, yeah. And it's just that balance too, of, of everything else that you have going on with being a graduate student is like, I don't know if they understand too, you know, you have these, these courses and you're in your studio late night and you're doing all of these things too. They just see you as like, you're the professor and this is all you do. Right, (laughs) right, exactly. Well, and I I think perhaps that doesn't really change even when you're not a grad student and you're in in the classroom. I don't think that they, I've run into students at Target and they're just sort of shocked that I, that I would be purchasing items or that I go outside the, the, the art building, um, (laughs) which probably I was the same way when I was in school. I just sort of was like, Oh, you're this person that exists in this place. And that's, that's where you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a funny, um, disconnect I think for some of them. And then, yeah, when, when they do see you somewhere else, I had a moment a a couple weeks ago, one of my students walked in and I could hear, you know, the music coming out of his headphones and I, I kind of tapped him on the shoulder. I was like, Hey, are you listening to, you know, that new record by, you know, so-and-so? And they're like, yeah. And I said, yeah, I just bought that on iTunes. It's great. And he's like, just looked at me like I was from a, a completely other universe, you know, like, oh, I, funny. like, like we couldn't have a shared interest in something, you know? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's wild because I mean, you're in, in pretty close, age range to some of your students. And I mean, I know when I was in graduate school, I sometimes was was worried that maybe my authority wouldn't be taken seriously because they knew that I was a grad student or that I was, uh, you know, closer in age or didn't dress really fancy like some of the other more grown-up professor people did. Sure. Um, do, you, um, do you find that challenging? 
Yeah, it's actually kind of a double-edged sword a little bit because it's part of my personality and things too. You know, I've maybe only worn like a suit or a tie like a few times in my whole life, you know, and, and, the, and the people that I had as, as instructors like an undergrad, they were all very well dressed and, and there would be moments and days where they were kind of casual a little bit more, but I wasn't really, I didn't really care about any of that. It was what they were saying to me and how they were saying it, right? So it's like when I go into the classroom, like I just try to try to present myself in a, in a way that I'm comfortable so that I can be myself and, and, and really teach a bit more effectively. I think it would totally change the dynamic if I came in really buttoned up and I still talk the way that I did. I, I just don't feel like it would it would set that kind of climate. So like on any kind of given day, I mean, I, I'm really big on like uh, shoes and hats and different things that I like to kind of match and design like what I'm going to wear every day. And it's part, I think it's just part of, of, you know, really living and breathing this art and design life that I, that I have is that I was worried that like, you know, if I wore a snapback to class and I have students in there too, that they dress very similar to me. And I've had those, I've had those moments that I've since that I've been here where, you know, if I sit down and they don't know me, they just think I'm a student. <laughs> right, you know, right, and then when I sure. when I when I stand up and go, hey everybody, uh, we're gonna, I want to kind of go over this project that we're gonna do here, and I and they're like, wait, you're the teacher? <laughs> that kind of you know silence goes over the crowd, and and one thing too is I I think that that creates a little bit more room I think for them to recognize and understand who I am because there isn't this big delineation between me as the authority and them as a student that this kind of wall that I've, I have felt in other courses, you know, in undergrad that just isn't there. So I feel like it lets them understand to be a little bit more open to me. So if they have questions, they can just ask me, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm the person in class, you know, as the instructor that should have more knowledge and things than them about certain things typically. And, and I like the fact that I, they get to recognize me and go, okay, Dave, he's just a, he's just a, a human being and things too, like I am, but he's just, he has a skill set that he knows a lot of, uh, uh, you know, these things about, and I'm going to ask him. Right. You know, right. Yeah. Well, and I, I remember at the last fate conference, which I believe is when I, I, I met you for the first time is when you were presenting on a panel and you were talking about PowerPoints and, and, and memes and all these yeah. ways of sort of getting students engaged, not only in what you were saying and, but also sort of speaking to them in a language that was humorous and felt really natural, you know, for your personality, but also I think, um, kind of loosen things up in the classroom and, while still presenting knowledge and information. So can, can you talk a little bit about that and sort of how that became part of your style as, as an instructor? Yeah, I, I, it was kind of something I, I kind of fell on. I feel like a little bit more organically, like, um, I'm always looking for like different teaching methods. And I mean, I listen to like YouTube playlists and things where people are just giving lectures to students and mm -hmm. stuff. Like when I'm in my studio and I just listen to how, they're using the pace of their conversation to like land. And I listen to like a lot of stand up comedians and things too, because I, they're really good storytellers. It was something that I, I did uh, one of my PowerPoints where I take a lot of pride in like trying to design a really good looking presentation. And I feel like if you just throw together information in a, you know, on a, a PowerPoint template or something, and you just click through the slides, the students aren't engaged there's more interesting looking things going on in their phone, in their pocket than is what's on the screen, what you're trying to tell them. So I had this idea of like, why don't I try to make my 
PowerPoints or my presentations that I make look like things that are familiar to them that are really popular that they share and they like and they retweet and they do all these things. So I, I tried this kind of early on. I think it was my second semester here where I made an entire PowerPoint presentation about this project that we were going to do. But for all of the images that I were, was going to show, I made it look like a Snapchat conversation. <laughs> so and I, for those of you who may or may not be familiar with some, you know, early Snapchat, you know, had this moment where you'd have an image and you get to put text kind of on your photo, but it was like this interesting little gray bar where the opacity was set to like 50 and you could put in, you know, text in that bar and it was just these funny, quick uh, things about whatever was happening in that photo you took or shared. So I would have an image, you know, of a Lucian Freud painting, you know, and I would hashtag it texture or impasto and things like that. <laughs> and then that's a moment I can get to talk to them about what that is and what that means. And I, I did that and that actually really, really worked out well. And then I would ha I was having other conversations with them like a week later and they were remembering what I said about that. And it was something that, that clicked and I said, okay, well, what other things do they see and, and, and have contact with all the time? And it's, it is memes and it is these funny viral kind of videos and it's these things, whatever's happening in the news at the time that, it, you know, if there's things being built in that way that I will throw in there. And it's, yes, it's a moment of levity, but also too, if you, you use these things in a smart way, it's another moment where they can connect to this information. Right, right. And I, I mean, I, I think there is a, a tendency perhaps for some faculty to think of the smartphone and think of technology and these sort of quicker ways to communicate as these negative, awful, terrible things, which anything has the potential to be awful and distracting, but there's a lot of really wonderful things about using a cell phone in the classroom or, or having that connection that I think can be really beneficial in a, in a learning environment. Yeah, totally. And I, and I'm just such an advocate. I don't care what it's going to take for me to reach my students. I just need to figure out what is working and what they communicate with and how can I kind of bend that to my will a little bit to use that to give them information, you know, yeah. and, and I, I do get, and I talked to quite a few people there at fate and I, I was getting kind of bummed out by, uh, you know, the, the hesitance towards these new ideas or these, these, um, you know, definitely the definite curve of technology there, because, you know, for the first time, and I was kind of realizing this year starting was my freshman age students, you know, that are 18, 19, 20 ish, they were born in like the year 2000 or the year 1999, you know, it's like, they've always had this as a part of their life. So I don't know why I wouldn't try to understand that and try to lean into that, that, that fact a little bit where, you know, that, that, that smartphone in the classroom can be a really interesting tool um, mm -hmm. for their, for their making and for their ideation and all these other things. And, you know, Pinterest boards and all this stuff, like I'm all about it. It's a, a fun way of thinking about research and everyone's taking pictures with their phone and communicating really quickly. Do you ever find that in a classroom setting, it can be distracting? And like, how have you handled that if Johnny is blowing up his phone and, and maybe you're not sure if it's something that he really needs to be doing or if he's, you know, sometimes you can't really tell if they're taking notes or if they're just on Tinder, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really interesting thing where there are, there has been those moments where I, you know, I, and I definitely don't ever try to put anybody on blast, like in front of the whole class. Cause 
as soon as you do that, you're, you just lost, you know, basically that person's respect and potentially the other people in the room. So I just kind of quietly go over and, and the only times like I know when it's being distracting is like if they're just sitting there and they're just not getting anything done. Right. And, and I, I, and I kind of make a joke about like, Hey, is that, you know, is the phone going to help you like draw the plans for what you're about to do? Like, you know, what are you, what are you doing on there kind of? And, and I, there has been moments too, where, you know, and I tell students like, Hey, if you're going to be on your phone, just understand, like I'm watching everything that happens in here and I am taking, and I am taking notes about these things. So like if you turn something in, and you feel like you're not really super satisfied with it, you know, maybe, you know, that half hour of the week when you were just in here texting or doing whatever you were doing on your phone, that's probably why that might be a reason why you don't feel super thrilled with your work. You know, that could be one reason Sure. But at the same time too. Like I, I definitely try to keep myself open and I, and I tell them like, Hey, I don't know what you got going on personally or privately. So, you know, if you got somebody in the hospital or somebody's, you know, you're waiting for a really important phone call for a job interview or something like, like shoot me a quick email, say, Dave, you know, at about one o'clock, I'm going to have to step out and take a call. That's fine. Like do that. Those moments where I, I, it's only happened a couple times in the three years that I've been here teaching and it's just, I've only seen it really get distracting a few times and I, and I try to handle it pretty discreetly and it, it hasn't become a gigantic issue for me. And I think part of it's the way that I approach them about, Hey, you know, I, can you just not be on your phone right now? It's, it's kind of distracting to me, but sure. it is, it's frustrating too. And I, I think part of it is like, I just, you got to realize like, you know, they're, they're learning, they're trying to become and learn how to be adults and the responsibility of that of, Hey, when I, when the instructor or whoever's talking, it would probably be a good idea if I was listening and taking notes and, and, and some of them do take notes on their phone. Sure, it's just, sure. it's just quick. It's just quicker for them, which I'm all about too. Like, Hey, let's use this stuff if it's going to be positive. But you know, I, I understand too. Like if, if somebody's seems to be distracted, it might not even be that they're using it for Tinder or whatever. It could be that they are, they are having some other personal stuff that they're also trying to balance just like I'm trying to do with all, everything I have going on too. So it's, sure. Well, yeah, and I, I, I definitely appreciate how you talked about not wanting to put anybody on blast because we don't know what they're dealing with. Yeah. And, you know, I found that I don't tend to do my best work when I feel like I'm being shamed or embarrassed oh. or punished or called out. I mean, that's not a really good leadership style, you know, and it makes everyone else just feel super uncomfortable, you know. So, yeah. so I think, you know, being being aware and maybe having that private conversation of just like, hey, what's going on or what are you checking out? It seems really like you're interested in it, is this going to help your project or whatever, yeah. um, can, can be incredibly useful. And, you know, I found, and I'm, I'm curious if, if you found this too, that, you know, it seems like more experienced faculty sometimes can be very quick to hate on millennials and yeah, complain totally. about the phone thing or complain about the selfie thing or complain about this and that. But then I go to faculty meetings or I go to graduation or I go really anywhere yeah. where academics are and 90% of the people are on their phone, you know, and it's like, wait yeah, a minute, you're complaining about this in the classroom. And I understand that's a different space, but, yeah. but wow, like we're all making choices. And for you to blame it on a certain generation seems kind of intense. Yeah, it's 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 super alarming. Like, um, I think the worst thing I could ever try to do, and I, it is losing touch a little bit and, and not trying to stay connected 
you know, your job as a faculty member when you sign up for these contracts and things, and it's part of your service to, to what you're doing is, you know, maybe 90, 80, however the breakdown of percentage of what you're supposed to be doing is teaching and organizing and, and planning for these days in class. The, the worst thing that I could ever think to do is think that I fully understand these students because I, I don't know. I think I have a good idea from day to day, but then every once in a while, like they have some really amazing like commentary about something. And I'm like, wow, this is so much more interesting than I ever thought this day was going to get right now. To really try to think that I could just cast everybody under the same light is just um, unbelievably glib, I, f- I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really not helpful, I mean, to, to your growth as an instructor or to no. your students, because those are not just students, blah, 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 number 17. I mean, those are individual human beings that have had experiences oh. and that are nervous and that are awkward and that are dealing with all kinds of learning challenges or you know, first time being away from home and boys and girls and just all of it. Yeah, um, it's just so nuanced. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's like a forest fire. I mean, really, you know, there's there's a lot happening, and so I think being aware that there are tendencies or there are things to look out for or address in a certain way is important. But I think, I guess, I I just I don't think it's super helpful to, I guess, be really negative about. A certain generation, I, I would think if I was in that generation, which I'm not, that that would make me feel kind of bad. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's it's funny because I'm I'm in there too. Like I'm I am you know technically a millennial, uh-huh. so that's that's kind of an odd sort of thing, a place to be because I see both sides. I'm like I can see where you know generations before me or or some tenured faculty that have been at a university for decades you know, longer than I've even been alive. Let's, let's just say like, there's a moment where like your life at some point has altered or shifted in a way where you're no longer really on that same kind of level. But I think being able to be reflective about who you were, even if cell phones weren't around or, you know, the internet wasn't this big, huge, crazy thing, being able to reflect about exactly just those, those simple things about like, you know, what was your, what was going on in your world when you were that age? What were the things that were really important to you just just kind of plainly like, you know, and I, I was thinking about the other day, it's just such a difficult time for people, uh, especially now, too, with the burdens of, you know, student loan debt and financial aid and all these other different things we have to we, we really have to worry about is as as you know, having the audacity to, like, try to continue our education. <laughs> you right, know, it's like, right. how, like it's almost like this. How dare you type of moment. But then it doesn't help you know, students when, when everybody's looking at them, like they're not important or they're not smart or to kind of cast them aside, like, Oh, there's millennials, blah, 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 blah. blah. They're always on their phones or, you know, it's like, no, they might be on their phones because they're looking at some cool application that helps them understand color better. That, that, that happened to me um, when I, I kind of called somebody out in class one time. I was like, Hey, so-and-so like, what are you doing on your phone? They're like, Oh Dave, you got to check out this app. It's like, this color matcher, like it's like a game. And I go, wait, what? And I'm looking mm-hmm. at this thing and it's like a quiz and it's showing them how to match colors and, and temperature and all these things about color. I'm going, wow, that's really awesome. Now I know what I'm going to, I'm going to download this later and I'm going to have something else to do on my phone when I'm kind of waiting in a waiting room or whatever. Like this is actually helpful. Right. Right. I think realizing and and being genuinely excited about learning someone else's point of view, uh, regardless of the age or the generation or anything, I think just shows 
respect to that other person. And so it seems like in a yeah. learning environment that that would be even more important. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's understanding to the students that we have, you know, it doesn't matter really, I guess, age wise, but if anybody's in, in a higher ed sort of situation right now, it's like those people have this idea about what they want to do or what they want to be and the career that they want and the life that they want to live and this dream and this desire to, to, to do this thing. Um, and they are the future. There is going to be a moment when all of the professors in the, in the world are all were born after 1990. That's right. going to happen, you mm-hmm. know, eventually. Mm-hmm. That, that'll, that'll be a thing, you know. So like, how do you try to be open to bridge this gap a little bit more? Because it's just it's not helpful to try to create this big division. And I, I think that some of my strength a little bit to it as an instructor right now is, is I'm every day I'm understanding that, you know, the only reason I'm where I am and the position that I am is, is just the time that I have and the education I've taken. So it's not to say that somebody who comes in to my one of my courses that for a freshman that they can't do what I am doing in another 10 years. It's just time. Time is the only factor that you have for me or they ha- they don't yet have to me. It's it's just the time. So no, when I look at sure. who are tenured and all this, it's, it's it's the time and the dedication that they've that they've had, you know. Give me another twenty years, and I'll I'll do I'll be right where you are too, and pro- probably maybe further. That's something to consider, I think too, and because that was something I, I found was kind of uh, was a little bit alarming. Even when I was giving my talk, you know, at, at the fake conference, where I looked around and I and I called everybody out. I said, you know, I sat through that whole week presentations, and some of them looked like they got put together the night before. And I said, that's, that's kind of a bummer, you know, because you're yourself kind of up, you're setting yourself up for disaster sometimes, especially with the, with the group and the age range that we have right now. Like they are visually more aware of things than maybe other times that have ever happened before where they're constantly being harder with imagery every day. And those little stimulus kind of moment in their pocket where they just open this phone up and they can just flip through or swipe through a million different articles and all these things. And like, that's all there for them. So like, if you don't take the time, you know, they will recognize that. So like if, if these quick little articles are better designed or better looking, why would they want to watch you talk about something? Absolutely. And, And plus, I mean, it just comes down to being authentic and taking things really seriously. I mean, art is, is serious, but it's also serious fun. And, and I think being able to communicate that as an instructor that, Hey, like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be prepared and I'm going to be ready and present. You know, and I'm going to do that. And I'm also going to expect you to do that too. You know, that this is sort of a, a place that we're sort of meeting in, in the middle. Yeah. It's, it's, I expect a lot out of them and I want them to understand that I want them to expect a lot out of me too. Cause this is a very serious thing, you know, and a responsibility that I've been fortunate enough while I've been here, at least at this university. And as I continue to look for career openings and things, you know, in the future, that's something I don't take very lightly. Like I, I really do. This has been uh, an unbelievable experience that I've been able to be given just the chance to be able to do it. And I understand that fully. There are people out there that would love to put together a presentation for three or four hours to then give a lecture for 30 minutes. You know, there there are those people, there are those people out there. Never. I, yeah, it was just something I was, I was reflecting about too, from being at that fate conference was, you know, trying to make this connection a little bit more because I understand how difficult it is too. 
been doing something a certain way for you know 10 15 years and you don't want to change because you've seen the results from this experiment that you've done or, or this way that you give presentations but i th think you know you're only going to be benefiting yourself and your students by taking a little bit more time to craft this information in a way that they can understand sure and uh, and you know being flexible and being malleable and really being excited about changing and making those updates and those tweaks to a presentation or to a project um, based on who are the people actually in the room, you know, <laughs> like who are your students yeah. in that moment is, is so important. Yeah. Getting a good judge of who they are and things too. And their overall like kind of collective interests that they might already have before even coming in the room. Like how do you, how do you pull on those things a little bit more or challenge them on these things? If, you know, cause we've all had students where they're very set in a certain style of making or a certain mode of, of process where they, they only make things with pen and this certain kind of thing. And then, yes, it's great to show them maybe other artists that make things like that too, but introducing to things that would be challenging to them and under and trying to have a conversation with them about the value in getting outside of their their normal you know kind of way of doing things is just huge it really is and and i think regardless of your role at a university or your age etc i mean i think it's easy to get into a routine where, okay, I'm doing this and then I'm doing that and then I know how this is going to happen and then I'm going to give him this project and just sort of get into this groove and sort of almost like in an autopilot kind of moment, which I think for any educator becomes really dangerous because you're, you just aren't really probably excited about the material anymore and you're not maybe as engaged as you could be and you're not trying new things, which is something that we, of course, expect of our students on on a regular basis. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's just kind of being the big things for me kind of going forward that I've realized is like being adaptable, being flexible, being really honest and open with them about what you expect from them and, and letting them know too, like if they don't bring it, that you're kind of bummed out. You're kind of like you wanted more for them, you know, and, and, and also know that like you care about this more than they do. That's, that's a huge one too. Like I could, I could give it all every day. I can go in there and, and I could want the best for everybody, which I do, mm -hmm. you know, and if they don't, they don't take that enthusiasm that I might have or, or how serious I am, how change their life. I don't want to have that email moment or that phone call moment in the future where they're kind of upset that they aren't where they want to be, mm. you know, because I'll be able to point them to those moments when they did bring it and they didn't continue forward with it. You know, and understanding like it's okay if you fall flat on your face and you didn't figure out whatever the program was that you were trying to do or, you know, the certain thing you have a chance right now to kind of throw them back into the game and get to catch those those moments of like, hey, you know, so and so like you didn't do too hot on it, this thing. But, you know, we got a few more weeks of class. If you put some more effort forward, I'll try to reevaluate this. Sure. Thinking about, you know, your experience and where you are right now about to get your, your MFA. A lot of the, the things that you're talking about are, are exciting. And I think the things that we're talking about, but you know, for some folks that might be listening, might just sound like a whole lot of work all of oh, a sudden yeah. to, to be, you know, up on the latest apps or be able to 
revamp a project or rethink how they're presenting a PowerPoint presentation, for example. And so like, what kind of encouragement would you give to someone who's just like, dude, this is exhausting. This sounds really hard. I just don't have time for this. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is too, Valerie is like, I, I understand kind of where I'm at right now too. And it's easy for me to say like, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get to work. Damn it. You know, <laughs> but, but I'm right now, you know, single guy, I don't have a family of my own. I don't have anybody. When I come home, I have nobody saying, you know, daddy, like, let's go play. Or I don't have all these other things that maybe other people have. But when I, you know, and I'm hoping that that happens for me, but at the same time, like, I think a big part of it is, is, is recognizing something is like, why did you get into this in the first place? And just mm-hmm. ask yourself, kind of ask yourself that, right? And then, and think about, you know, if it is a huge burden for you to sit down for like an hour to try to revamp something because you're tired of the grandfathered in syllabus structure or the project structure that you've been given from years ago, when you graduated, you know, maybe you have a big bunch of files from projects that have worked. Like if you just don't want to try something new, like get out of the way for the people who are going to want to do that. You know, because I, I, I do see, I do see that, you know, especially in higher ed, I see it all over the place where people, I get the vibe and that, that kind of energy just evokes off of some that this is just a job for them where this isn't like what they really want to be doing or they've, they've lost that passion a little bit. And, and that might be idealistic of me to say right now too, uh, you know, when I'm, a you know, on the verge of getting to my MFA and going out in this world where I am going to have interactions with faculty members and that might rub people the wrong way. And that I, that's, that's part of it. And I, and I get that too, but for the generations and stuff coming up is like, you know, they will see straight through all this stuff. And when they see that you're tired and you're not given an effort, why should they want to either? Sure. You know, it, absolutely. Trying to inspire some to do more of what's asked of them is, is really difficult to do. But I think, you know, sitting down and kind of and really asking yourself, like, why did I want to be a, a professor or a faculty member or a mentor to young artists and designers? Mm-hmm. Why, why did I make that decision? Because if you don't want to do that, that's fine. There are other places where you could be and you do really well. But if, if you, this is something that you really have dedicated your life to do, you have to evolve with this thing too. You can't just be complacent and decide, you know, well, the structure thing, this thing that I've done for this many years is working and I'm not going to do anything different. Like, okay. But you know, I think there's a huge benefit of trying different methods and techniques and getting hip to these different apps and um, these different programs and these different ways to make movies and all these different things. Students are walking around with a multimedia, uh, basically a studio in their pocket. And, and it's just amazing. And I, I feel like utilizing that, who knows what that's going to turn into in the future and how different, you know, I feel, feel like a lot of us are waiting around for this big movement or this big moment in art to happen again, that we can try to live through that. We can say, yeah, I was there for, you know, the post Instagram, like painting and things. I was there for that. I saw that develop. I just, I hope that some take that with a, a little bit of a grain of salt too of the things that I'm saying today. If, if it reaches some that are, are maybe really exhausted and they're thinking, how do I reach these students that I have? Or, you know, do I really want to even be doing this anymore? 
Right. You know. I mean, it's so important. I think, you know, as much as you've talked about, you know, not wanting to shame this particular generation. I mean, you obviously aren't wanting to shame those folks no. that are that are in a place of complacency or even just dead weight, you know, and maybe they don't even know that that's kind of yeah. where they're at. I think having been a grad student and a TA and then been an adjunct at like seven different places and then being a visiting person and then now in like a tenure track position, it, it's, I think I, I, I was very critical of folks that seem to take things for granted or maybe seem to not be grateful or take yeah. things really seriously or just would would bitch about, um, yeah. you know, I have to go to this meeting or I have to go to this committee. And of course, all I wanted to do was, was have a place at the grown up table, you know, cause yeah. I was not invited for that. And I thought, Oh man, yeah. that, that sounds so romantic, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like I can't wait to be on the curriculum committee. And now that I'm on committees, I can understand maybe some of those voices of frustration with the system or with a particular program or what, what have you, just, just in terms of just the politics that are so rampant yeah. um, in terms of the, the power structure. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of curious because I, I definitely hear what you're saying, but then I, I definitely hear the other side of it too. And then, yeah. you know, I think we're, we're constantly, hopefully being, being reflective and going, okay, like, am I part of the problem here? Am I like the grumpy curmudgeon? person that just complains and like every yeah. opportunity I meet somebody I see a student I'm see a colleague and I'm just gonna rage on on how hard this is or how tired yeah. I am and it's like oh that's, that's pretty intense that's yeah. pretty awful you know or am I gonna focus on the things that are that are positive that, that I can change can Im- implement vision for yeah and I too, Valerie, I, I was thinking about this, um, and I, I have been since I got here because there's there's been times where I'm in my studio and I'm trying to figure out ways to in between letting some layers of paint dry or whatever, and I'm thinking about like what, how can I get this better for my students, you know? And, and I, I think part of it too is never losing sight of the fact when you're in these faculty meetings on a Wednesday afternoon or whatever, or a Friday afternoon, and they might be taking too long and so-and-so is on their phone and not really paying attention, but then they get really upset because somebody says something or, or has the audacity to bring up a, an idea to change something. And they go, well, that's not how it's done. We've done it like this, blah, 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 blah. Understanding that you are in a position of great, great privilege to be an educator um, and that is something that like you cannot lose sight of that. And if you are thinking about this as just your income and you're just your job, like get seriously, get out of the way for those that are way more passionate about this than maybe you lost sight. And I don't know how to get that back for some because it does happen, right? With anything that you love, that love changes and that 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 passion that you have for stuff, it evolves and at moments might diminish, but as long as it's still there and you don't lose sight of like the fact that you're, you're trying to pass on this thing that you also really enjoy, you're, you're trying to pass this stuff on to others and how you do that and all the other just really wild, like nuanced things about higher ed and how policies and things move at such like a glacial pace. Mm-hmm. Understanding that, yeah, it is, it is a marathon and this is not a race and, and this is, this is going to take some time, but I tell you what, Valerie, like I would love to sit in on these meetings and I would love that opportunity to do that because I'm not going to be the person that is upset that I have to try to reorganize things to help my students learn things better. Right. You know, or, right. or that I have to get on this on board with some new email tool or whatever, you know, and I'm, I'm hypercritical about the things that I love the most. And mm-hmm. I, 
I love being able to teach and I love art and design and I love what that has done for my life, you know, and in the way that it's made me see things differently and, and appreciate things better. And, um, and I always keep in mind that there are people out there that weren't given the same opportunities that I was given that are out there really struggling in a whole different group of problems and, and things that they're trying to work through. So like, I can't get too bent out of shape when I'm asked to do a little bit more on a Saturday or take my work home with me. Like mm -hmm. that's, I signed up for that, you know, and, 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 and that's something too, that I've, I've figured out a really good system for myself, uh, being here at the university of Idaho and, and having that opportunity to teach and be a student. And this has been the busiest and, and most challenging and crazy, hard time of my life. But at the same time too, it's been just as equally rewarding. Yeah, and it's just, I guess, igniting that fire for some of those that have maybe lost a little bit is, is trying to get back, you know, and, and something too that I do quite a bit is I just ask my students, like, I'll say, everybody, I don't want your names on these pieces of paper, like, just take out a piece of paper and I'll, I'll come up with some questions because I want some feedback and I'll ask them, like, what would you want to see? Do you want to see more demos in class? Do you want to see me do give more lectures? Like, what do you want? Because like, I have this crazy idea, like the, like they're in control of their education. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Of course. Like, Absolutely. Why wouldn't I reach out to those who I'm trying to, to teach and ask them, like, what would you like to see more of? Do you want to see more of this or, you know, what kind of sort of project would you might want to see? Do you want to work in groups more? Do you want, like, what do you want? And, and, and I've got some really good responses by doing that. And that's helped flavor that classroom dynamic a little bit too. And, and set, and some of them too have ended up just being ways to edit certain challenges or objectives within projects. And sure. I can, and that's, I that's so helpful. Out. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, that, that, that's so helpful in terms of asking them while they're still your students, you know, cause obviously they have like the formal evaluation moment at the end of the semester, which is great and, and wonderful yeah. for you to get that feedback. But it's like, well, those students are gone. Like that would have been great to know, you yeah. know, like week four, and then we could have adjusted things because if, if, if you're not told something, you, you don't know something. Um, yeah. so yeah, I've, I found that to be incredibly helpful. We do like, a formal mid-semester check-in where we have different questions and they can just like circle things if they don't want to write things out or they can provide um, additional feedback. But it's been such a game changer because now I can change things and yeah. say, oh, great. This is how you feel. Wonderful. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's change gears. Let's spice things up and do things a little bit differently so that you guys are, you know, getting, getting fed in a way that you know, you need to. Yeah. It's like some, I think kind of live and breathe by those evals at the end of the semester. And that's like your, your moment of going into that reflection. I've got them too, being an instructor here and, and getting to see like, Oh, I didn't realize that when I was teaching this certain thing, I didn't go over this other part that was clearly, you know, and it's, it's just things that you learn and, and try to adapt. But I think, you know, giving them just a quick, like, how am I doing sort of moment, of a survey kind of system a few weeks, even before a midterm. And then when they go on, you know, their break or their winter break or spring break or whatever, and, and having that reflection of like, wow, okay. I, and this was something that happened, that happened to me actually last year, Valerie is like, I, I did this probably my fourth or fifth week of class because I was just, I was just kind of getting down on myself a little bit too, because I felt like all of the time that I was taking to prep and do all these things, it just, it wasn't making a huge difference for one of my foundations courses. Like they were still really struggling. And I, I always just turn it inward and I go, Oh, I, I must not be teaching this correctly. You know? Mm. But what ended up happening is I asked like survey wise and everybody thought I was doing awesome. And then it told me that I needed to push them more, that it wasn't actually on me. 
and it reaffirmed that a little bit. And then I also had a, a moment too where I I got some of these anonymous feedback of just people's handwriting and things on this this paper. And one of them said, David, you know when you sometimes – and I didn't even realize I was doing this, uh, Valerie, but one of the moments was this feedback said, you know, David, sometimes when you talk, you go so fast because you're so excited, but then you lose me because I, I don't want to follow you anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So sort of slowing down and allowing time for them to kind of soak in the information, which you're, of course, familiar with. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I I read this. I read about this stuff and I practice these things and I like I know this stuff, you know, and I and I this stuff excites me. Right. So I and I I realized that that happened. And I had a moment in class, too, after I read that feedback after the weekend and I came in and I said, everybody, let's just like kind of gather around one of these tables real quick. I want to address something that I read in, in, in this feedback. And I said, I'm not going to tell you all who it was, but I just want to say that I'm sorry that this has happened and, and I'm going to try to do better for you all in here. That there were other issues. There was other issues too that they brought up that I go, wow, I didn't realize I did that. Like my tone of voice, even for some, I think was a little intimidating or something too. And that was, and I think part of it too is the way that I, maybe that I look or my posture and things too. Cause I'm, I'm a little bit more heavier set guy and I've got a beard and I wear a hat backwards and I walk around and I don't think some of them were kind of ready for that. And that might've been their first kind of interaction with somebody that may kind of tower next to them and be just talked to them about the stuff. But I, you know, I had a feedback that said, David, I find you kind of intimidating. Oh and, yeah. And I said, wow, like I, I didn't realize that that's how that was. And I, and it, it is a good moment to be open with them. And, and it's not, you know, some people would probably look down on this as a little, maybe too like touchy feely sort of heartwarming moment. But I like, I apologize to them. And I said, I, I don't ever mean to come across like that. And that I, you know, and I want you all to feel open that you can pull me aside after class to say, Dave, you know, that thing that you said, I didn't really understand because you were just going so fast. Or like when you come around for one-on-one critiques, like if you could just maybe, I don't know, not end up, if you could like sit down next to me, I would probably listen to you better. Mm. And I go, wow, like that's a great thing that I can do now that I know like, hey, you know, instead of standing next to you and, and talking and me looking down while you're trying to like draft out whatever you're trying to do for this project, like if I just sit next to you and get eye to eye, like that just helps that it was just something I, I didn't see. So asking them what, what I could do better was a huge moment. And I, I still continue to do that. That's, that's so wonderful. That's really, really exciting. And I think can, can, can be a point of reflection for so many folks, you know, as, as they think about where they are um, in the classroom or in their studio practice, just, just to be sort of thoughtful about, you know, what am I doing? Am I all in with whatever this is? That's, that's really thrilling. Well, David, it's been so nice to get to chat with you today and I really appreciate your time and your enthusiasm. And I just wish you the best of luck as, as you prepare for your thesis and your show and all of that good stuff. Yeah. Thank you very much, Valerie. I really appreciate the time this morning. Thanks a lot for having me. And I, um, before I say goodbye, I just want to shout out to all my faculty members, uh, at Saginaw Valley state university that really helped me get to where I am in my life. It was just something I, I never thought I would be in, uh, be able to be in graduate school and, you know, university of Idaho too, just for, you know, taking a chance on me and letting me teach and let me make work. And it's just been awesome.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. You can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. You may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space.